Chapter 20. Later, Tink and I were sitting on the front porch swing, waiting for Daddy and Teddy to come back with Uncle Earl, when a man wearing a blue bow tie and lugging a large camera strolled up the path. He was stick-thin, brown-haired man with more freckles than I had ever seen. I'm the photographer from the Charleston Evening Post. This the Waldorf, Waldorf place, he asked. Yes, sir, we answered. Tink got up and touched her camera as she inspected his. From the hungry look in her eyes, I immediately sensed that his was something she was itching to have. He must have recognized the same expression because he smiled at Tink and informed her. It's a Graflex Speed Graphic 4x5 press camera, in case you were wondering. A graphics, Graflex Speed Graphic 4x5 press camera, she repeated, as if she were storing it in her memory. Is it an awful lot of fun being a real photographer, she asked. Generally, I find it enjoyable. An interested individual ought to possess immense patience and an adventuresome nature. I've got that, the adventuresome nature at least, Tink responded confidently. He smiled again. Your folks inside? Tink stood, went over to the door and hollered through the screen. Photographer's here. He's from the newspaper, Mama. The newspaper coming. I'd never seen Polly run, but from the sound of her shoes clicking on the wood floor, I could tell she was doing just that. He and Cousin Polly chatted, and when he left to go get more equipment from his car, Polly informed us, he's from the Charleston Evening Post. Can y'all believe it? Wants pictures of the house, too. She touched her hair and fingered the collar of her polka-dotted blouse. Suppose I should go make myself decent. Polly's eyes fell on Tink. You too, Theodora. Go put on a pretty dress. No, thank you, Mama. I'm decent enough, she replied. Suit yourself. Can y'all believe it? Polly ripped open the screen door and practically danced into the house. Photographer from the Charleston Evening Post is here, y'all, she yelled, emphasizing the word, the word the. She'll be putting on airs for the next 10 years, Tink confided. Because I knew she was, because I knew it was true, I had to laugh. Soon, smiling guests began spilling out of their cars, and alongside others who had traveled on foot, they made their way toward Cousin Polly and them's house. Several entering guests were invited by the bow-tie-wearing photographer to pose. I studied my cousin Tink as she examined his every move. In what felt like no time at all, the inside of the house was as packed as a can of sardines, causing some folks to pour outside onto the wraparound porch and into the big backyard, where there were two gazebos and blooming flowers galore. Cousin Polly had put on quite a show, not for Earl, but for herself and the neighbors, Annie Rita gossiped. <clears throat> One of the colored maids moved, moved in and around the crowd, offering little finger foods, including my favorite deviled eggs. I grabbed two. Just like Mama's, they were sprinkled with paprika. I stuffed one hole into my mouth, and the second was right behind it. Boy, was I hungry for some real food. And for that reason, I headed to the kitchen. Another maid was pulling a pie out of the oven, and a platter of sliced ham was on the table. I eyed the ham. I'm about starving, I told her. She sat the hot pie on the counter and then inspected me. 
I seen you round here a few times before. You Miss Tink's cousin, ain't you? She asked. Yes, ma'am, Gabriel. I tried to recall her face, but I couldn't. Almost growed up, huh? I shrugged. Suppose I, I just turned 12. I could make you a sandwich, she offered. Think that might help you keep from starving for a spell? Yes, ma'am, it surely might. Thank you. I gazed at her. She looked to be as old as Auntie Rita, and her black maid's dress was old, too. Annette covered her gray hair, and her white apron was soiled from cooking. Something about her finally rang a faint bell inside me, and I remembered a time or two I'd seen her here before. She poked around inside the refrigerator. Mayonnaise or mustard, she asked. Both, please. She motioned to the kitchen table and chairs and ordered, Sit down, young mister. I did as I was told. What's your name, ma'am? I asked. Auntie. No, I mean your real name, I told her. Johnny Dove. That's two words. Johnny Dove Victory. But I'm called Dovey by most. Pleased to meet you, Miss, Mrs. Victory. You mean that or you just saying it because I'm fixing you from starving? That made me chuckle. The man they's having this party for, he was a flyer, weren't he? She asked. I beamed. My Uncle Earl, yes, ma'am, shot down more than a few Nazi planes. He is a genuine American war hero. Mighty kind of everyone to celebrate his homecoming, she commented. Then she abruptly stopped what she was doing and gazed through the window. There was, a, there was still noise all around, but somehow it felt quiet. My son was in the United States Navy, she revealed. Served out yonder in the Pacific. Even got his self-good conduct medal. Last letter he sent said soon as the war was done, he was going to move to San Francisco and send for me and his daddy. He fell head over heels, head over hills in love with California. Only spent a few days there, but claimed it got in his blood. Is that where he is now, I asked? No, child, he's gone. Where? To heaven, I hope. Got killed out in New Guinea. You heard of New Guinea? Yes, ma'am. I think it's near Australia. She nodded in agreement. That's right. I never even knowed there was such a place till her voice trailed off. Last time he was seen alive, he was helping carry wounded American soldiers to safety. Then, according to what his friend wrote us, there was a big, big explosion and he was gone, making things worse. Only thing they found was his dog tags, but his body ain't never been located. I finally gave up praying on that. Would have been nice, though, to have a proper burial with fancy stone grave marker. That way I could go sit there, bring him a few flowers, and talk to him, kind of like I used to when he was a little boy. I'll never forget the evening when the telegram came. I nearly cried myself blind. Sometimes during my dreams, I still hear that knock on the door and the man's voice saying, Western Union. I felt like a cloud of sorrow had floated into the room. Sorry, ma'am. What was his name? Homer Lee Bartholomew Victory. Lord have mercy, he was handsome in that Navy uniform. Pleaded with him day and night not to enlist, but he was deaf to our words. He, she hesitated for a moment before continuing. Sure was proud to be in the United States Navy, though. She pressed on her eyes the way people do when they're trying to keep back tears. 
He was our onlyest child, a real good boy, my Homer Lee. And Lord, he was smart. Had a college, college had a college scholarship to Clafton over in Orangeburg, but the war changed all that. I miss him something awful. Sorry, ma'am, I repeated. She sighed deeply. Forgive me, son, for carrying on, she said, when she placed the sandwich and a glass of lemonade on the table in front of me. It's okay, ma'am. Want a sweet pickle? They're fresh and crisp. Yes, ma'am. She studied my face. You're a right nice young fella, ain't you? Mostly, I told her, and took a huge bite from my sandwich. Nice talking to you, she said, then chuckled before adding, then again, mostly all you done was listen, so thank you for listening to an old woman go on and on. You're welcome, Mrs. As usual, I had forgotten her name. Mrs. Victory, Johnny Dove Victory, mostly called Dovey. Thank you, Mrs. Victory, and I'm real sorry about your son, Homer. Chapter 21 Every time the front screen door opened, I crossed my fingers, hoping it would either be Uncle Earl or Helene stepping in. But so far, neither had shown up. Tink was still busy tailing, her, tailing the photographer, but now and then she'd shoot a look my way and smile. I planted myself in a chair, thought about Mrs. Victory, and I imagined that all of us being here to celebrate a soldier's safe homecoming was likely doubling her sadness. Soon Mama headed my way. You having a nice time, Gabriel? Yes, ma'am. But I guess my face must have looked out of sorts because she asked, why so gloomy then? I didn't have time to answer because at that moment, Daddy and Teddy arrived with the guest of honor, my Uncle Earl. More than eight medals, some silver and others gold were pinned to his uniform jacket. Of course, the cheering commenced, except this time, because we were indoors, it seemed 50 times as loud. Uncle Earl's a little taller than Daddy, with the same light brown hair, according to most people. He looks something like Clark Gable without a mustache. I sprang up and wriggled through the swarm that had instantly surrounded him and tapped his shoulder. Hi, Uncle Earl, I said. He turned, bear-hugged me, and lifted me off the ground. Gabriel! The photographer pointed his camera and nearly blinded us with the flash. Standing beside him with his arm resting on my shoulder, I proudly listened along with the rest of the admirers about his war stories. Earl Haberlin was just about as entertaining as any radio show as he told us the number of Nazi planes he and his squadron had shot down. He spun riveting tales of the Battle of the Bulge and how cold and snowy it was and how it was actually called Ardain counteroffensive until the newspapers changed the name. I guess Battle of the Bulge had a better ring to it. Then he captivated us when he gave us a blow-by-blow -blow description of his near demise, as he called it. I figured I was definitely a goner when my plane took some bullets and started smoking, but somehow I was fortunate enough to make it back to British soil before I had to crash land. Were you scared? Someone asked. Earl's eyes darted around his, at his audience. Suppose y'all would expect me to say no, but that would be a lie. Can tell you this, though. If my life had ended that day, at least I would have died doing what I could to do to make this world better instead of making it worse. A woman wearing a blue feathered hat who was frantically fanning herself hollered, Ain't that the gospel truth? 
many heads not in agreement and Annie Rita shouted, Amen. And that was when the screen door swung open for probably the hundredth time. This time, Helene stepped inside. Helene quickly zeroed in on Tink and the newspaper photographer and squirmed her way through the crowd to reach them. Before I knew it, Helene was posed beside Uncle Earl. Several pictures had been taken, and in no flat time, Helene and Tink were standing beside me near the door. To draw attention to myself, I cleared my throat loudly. Tink got the idea right away and introduced us. Uh, Helene, this is my cousin Gabriel. Gabriel, this is Helene. Hi, was all I could manage to say. Nice to meet you, Gabriel, Helene said. But I have to go to Lou. To Lou, Tink replied. Understanding it meant goodbye, but wishing it didn't, I told her, to Lou. In no time at all, Tink had scurried back to the photographer's side. But I stayed nestled in the doorway, watching Helene as she strode confidently toward her house, hoping all the while she'd turn around just once and glance my way. But she didn't. Toodaloo, I whispered. Chapter 22 If Sunday had been mostly normal and dull without any extra shine to it, Monday sure wasn't. Merriweather arrived at work on foot, frowning, and Abigail was with him. Where's the bicycle? I inquired. Abigail answered, someone stole it. Right from here, Merriweather added. I came in on Saturday like your daddy asked me, because the cars needed to be fixed, were backed up, and when I went to leave that evening, it was nowhere to be found. Strange, I didn't hear anything. But then again, I had the radio going. Matthew didn't see nothing either. Before I could stop myself, I'd said it. Lucas. That's exactly what my daddy thought, Abigail confided. Likely it's true, but I got no proof. Now I got to pay to replace my buddy's bicycle, he sighed loudly. And my wife had some family business to tend to in Savannah, so Abigail has to be here with me for a few days. Hope that's all right with your daddy. Is he in his office? Was last time I saw him. Merriweather pointed to a chair and said to his daughter, Sit there and don't say anything that's certain to rob me of any pride I might have in you. Understand? <clears throat> Is that the same as telling me to be good? She asked. The exact same. Read your book like you promised. Can you do that? As instructed, Abigail plopped down, opened a book in her lap, and responded, Yes, sir, I can. I was on Merriweather's heel, heels. You gonna tell my daddy about Lucas? Gonna give him the facts. Only thing I got proof of is my bicycles, of the bicycles missing. I can't say who. No clues or witnesses, I asked. Not one. But a definite suspicion as to who might have committed the crime, I added. Merriweather chuckled. Your friend Patrick is right. You have been listening to too many late night detective shows. Before Merriweather had a chance to open his mouth, I blurted out, I know it was Luke's daddy. Daddy put down his pencil and looked up from his ledger. Lucas? Who stole Mr. Hunter's bicycle? Is that true? asked Merriweather. He I'm sorry, is that true? he asked Merriweather. It's true that the bicycle disappeared Saturday evening from the side of the garage where I generally leave it. As far as who done it, that I can't say. I didn't see anyone or hear anything. You can't accuse a man without proof, Daddy said. 
No, sir, can't, but I got favors to ask. My wife is away for a few days, and I'm wondering if it'll be all right if my girl Abigail stays in the garage with me while I work. She won't be any trouble, just going to sit and read. All right by me, and, Daddy asked, you said favor, that's plural. Favors, that's plural. That black 36 Chevy around back, if it's for sale, I'm hoping I might buy it on one of them installment plans I hear you offering, folks. You could hold my money out of my pay if need be. That heap of junk, can't no one ever get it to start, and some of the best have tried. I tell you what, Meriwether, you get that thing running, and it's yours, paid in full. Was about just to sell it for scrap. You joking with me, Jake? Daddy cracked a grin. The joke might be on you with that car. Meriwether now smiled and stretched out his hand. It's a deal, then. They shook, and Daddy replied, deal. But before we could leave, Daddy put, a grim, put on a grim face. <clears throat> Be best if y'all keep your suspicions about Lucas and the bicycle to yourselves, seeing as we got no proof. Learned a long time ago when to keep my mouth shut, Meriwether told him. That includes you too, Gabriel. Not even a word to Patrick. Clear? Yes, sir. Clear. Instantly, my daddy's face switched back to pleasant. About that car, what if you, what if you can't fix it? <clears throat> no one else has been able to, I remarked as Meriwether and I headed back toward the garage. You're forgetting two things, young man. What? Number one, I'm not no one else. No one else. And number two, I am Meriwether Hunter, and I am mighty good at fixing things. Abigail was right where we'd left her reading. She glanced up. Did he say I could stay? Meriwether nodded. But you got to do like you promised now, Abigail. I am, she said, holding up the book. Besides, no one has to make me read. I'm already on page 15. What you reading, I asked. The Magical Land of Noon. It's from the library at church. Churches don't have libraries, I informed hers. Informed her. Ours does. Pastor and Mama started one because there's hardly any books like this, you know, for children. She waved the book at me in the colored section in the Birdsong Library. Maybe only five. And I've read them all. Meriwether chimed in. They were going to have the library at school, but having it at the church lets almost anyone check a book out if they like. He popped, up, he popped the hood of the car and got to work. But only one book at a time, Abigail said. Then she asked, have you read the boxcar children? No. What about the cat who went to heaven? I shook my head. What's the matter with you? Can't you even read? What kind of question is that? Of course I can. Meriwether looked up from the car engine. Abigail, sir, watch yourself. And Gabriel, don't mind her. She likes to brag on herself about all her reading. Right before school ended, I read the yearling I boasted. Parts of it were too sad, made me cry, Abigail declared. Because it was the only book that I'd ever, that had ever brought me to tears, I was about to agree. But before I could say anything, embarrassment got all up inside me, so I didn't. Soon as I finished the book, I've got my heart set on one called Twig, unless somebody already checked it out. Once I tried reading more than one book at a time, but the stories started getting all mixed up inside my head, so Mama told me just to read one at a time. That way I won't get mixed up. 
Did you ever get mixed up? She asked. Suppose everyone does sometimes. Yeah, I suppose. I'm going to be a writer someday. Did you know that? Abigail asked. No. Well, I am. You just wait and see, she said. That's about enough talking, ain't it? Meriwether asked. Might be work out there for you, Gabriel. That needs doing. Likely, I replied, and off I went, but the station was quiet and still. One good thing about having nothing to do is it gives you time to ponder. And as I waited idly at the gas pump, that's exactly what I did. I thought about Abigail, though only ten. Already seemed to know what she's going to be a writer. Then I imagined Tink traveling the world, toting her camera, having her photographs printed on the pages of the National Geographic and Life magazine. Suddenly, my thoughts flipped to Patrick, who seemed to be certain that he had a future as a Navy frogman. And Rosie Riley's path toward becoming a doctor seemed crystal clear, too. How did they all seem to be so absolutely sure? when the thought of me becoming a pilot or even a detective, detective somehow felt like questions instead of answers. If Annie Rita's claim about me having a special destiny was true, I asked myself exactly when and how I would know what, that, what it was. Would it come straight at me like a fastball from a major league baseball pitcher, leaving little doubt? Or maybe it would inch slowly toward me like a hairy caterpillar. Or maybe it might come from out of the blue, like buckets of hail on a day it wasn't even supposed to rain, startling me unexpectedly.